Hey everybody, I'm Greg Soule and this is Why Am I, a podcast where I talk to interesting people and try and trace the path to where they find themselves today. My guest this go-around is Peter Krask. He's a writer, photographer, mentor, maker, guide, and educator. He's also a deep thinker, putting a lot of time examining the way he feels about things and then putting that into his work. Something that really struck me is how he looks at art. To Peter, it seems to truly be alive with its own thoughts, feelings, and intentions. The way he talks about art, it knows what it wants, and it'll guide you to it. At any rate, I hope you enjoy this chat with Peter. Peter Krass, thank you for joining me on the YMI podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we did the uh, the fantasy restaurant, and you were such a delight. I am so looking forward to this. And thanks, so am I. Generally, I, it's you know, it's not often you know I get the fantasy restaurant. So, um, and and just I don't want anybody to be concerned. Like I don't eat that way in real life, <laughs> generally. <laughs> but you know, if we're gonna go for broke. I said, bring it on. We're, yeah, pulling out all the stops. We're yeah. in there. We're doing it. We're doing the thing. We're getting crazy. Um, so generally, I have this little uh, thing where you and I are somewhere. Where are we? I have a feeling we are we're at an art exhibit, and we're just kind of moving from place to place, and we keep bumping into each other. And so, you know, I just strike up a little conversation. I tell you about who I am and what I do, and that's boring. So we've moved away from that subject pretty rapidly, and now it's your turn to reciprocate, Peter. So who are you? All right, I've been working. I've had to practice like the elevator pitch. I'm a maker, guide, and educator. How does that sound? A maker, a guide, and an educator. How long did it take you to come up with that? Actually, that was pretty fast. <laughs> that sounds somebody like asked, your tag somebody on was like, What's the you know what's what's the quick version? Because um, I've always. I've done I've worked so many different things and I've kind of, I've never ever had the good answer to that question. And I've, I've been to way too many networking meetings where the person asks me and, you know, depending on which one I feel like I want to emphasize, um, I can always tell like in two seconds, they're like, crap, I can't sell real estate and they're out. So I'm always <laughs> like, I'm trying to keep, refining to a shorter, simpler version. Is the... That's fun. Well, you know, I consider myself a, a maker as well. I don't do yeah. as much making as I used to. Well, maybe I do it in a different way. Yeah. You're... But I think it's fun that you pick that one first. Yeah, I think that sort of sums up. It covers kind of the largest area of my work life. Uh, you know, I'm trained as a writer. Uh, I've worked as a journalist. Uh, I've done some theater writing. I've have some nonfiction pieces published and I'm also a photographer. I was one of those kids that was always, you know, painting and making mess somewhere. Um, and then I've owned my own business as a floral designer for 20 years now, I think. Um, oh, wow. So I've always used my hands to make things and, um, and I, you know, depending on, who I'm with, you know, sometimes we, you know, we use the big A word and say you're an artist, but I think maker <laughs> kind of covers it all in, you know, a nice way. So, yeah, well, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, a lot of people won't 
won't ascribe the word artist to the things they do, even though it is art, you know, like I've seen, um, I've seen some electricians who I would say are artists, the way they bend metal and shape it and then form things together. And they look so organically interesting that I, some of those guys, I would never accuse them of that out loud. You know, I I don't know how they would take that, but it's interesting how uh, so many people, there's art to what they do. They just don't think of it that way. Right. And it's, I'm curious, I'm always curious about that because is, I don't know if that's just an American thing or is it a broader, you know, cultural idea? Um, because I'm a big believer. You know, I always, I often work with people who are like, well, I'm not creative. And I'm like, but you are creative, you know, and it's just, we have, in, at least in America, we have very sort of narrow definitions about what those things are. And I think unnecessarily so. Yeah. Yeah, well, something I somebody told me a long time ago that I, I believe to be true is they said, with no constraints, there is no creativity. So in every job, right, if you come up with, or every occupation, whatever it happens to be, or every endeavor, you know, if you are constrained in some way and you come up with a creative solution, is that not creativity in and of itself? And, Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, the bookkeeper who invented double entry bookkeeper was a very creative individual. But, uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it may not be interesting to me for sure, but right. creativity nonetheless. Right. So, and I think that's, you know, it's funny, that's an important point to make that. And I think, again, it's sort of, it's a pressure we have, but not everything is for everybody. And that's perfectly fine. And I, 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 I wish we could all sort of lighten up a little bit about that. You know, obviously you want as, large of an audience as you can. And given the way the attention economy works now, you know, for many people, your life depends on having a large audience. Um, but it's okay that not everything is for everybody. You know, some things speak to me, some things don't. And that's really all it means. And taste change, you know, you can find ways in or not, but um, I think, you know, make, make the thing you want to make is always what I tell people and if it's true you know it'll it'll land with somebody so yeah attention economy i've never heard that phrase before but i love it yeah i think that's the um the the business school term for it is that that's um that's the highest good right now can we get your attention because we have so many things competing for it and can you get somebody's attention for a period of time faster than a swipe on a screen? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I find myself doing that with this thing. Like what can I put out that would keep people from scrolling? Like what little image can show up? What can little uh, video clip is going to grab somebody's attention? Because generally somebody will give you maybe five or 10 seconds at the most. Yeah. If you're lucky. Yeah. So, I think there, I can't remember who did the study, but I think they, um, someone was timing people like in an art museum, sort of how much time people actually do look at a picture and it's been steadily declining, you know, for like the past 10 years. But Hmm. I think, you know, it started, I was like two minutes and 30 seconds. So now it's down to, you know, a minute if you're lucky. And, um, I was just reading something last night where it's this one teacher where he, it's called the one hour painting class. And you go and you have an hour that you look at just one painting for an hour. Hmm. And 
once everyone sort of calms down and gets past their anxiety about like, what do you mean? I'm going to stay here for an hour just with this one picture. But um, yeah, that's when you actually start seeing things. Mm. Um, I do every once in a while, it's an exercise. There's a, um, an American photographer named Minor White and he had an exercise he did with his students, which um, you go to a place with your camera and that could be any kind of camera. Um, and you sit there for an hour, you don't move, you don't check your phone, you don't do anything, but you sit there for an hour. And at the end of the hour, you ask the place for permission to take one photograph hmm. and then that's it and you walk away. And um, it's really kind of a magical thing to try. You know, it's a little boring, kind of like meditating in a way, you know, you're <laughs> like, I'm, you know, how long have I been sitting here? But, um, you know, then you really start to see the place and then, you know, sort of what the picture is to take. So, mm. um, it's, I highly recommend it to people or, you know, draw a picture or how, whatever your version of that is, but, um, it's an interesting exercise to, to try. Yeah. Yeah. Because like for me, like I'm imagining myself in that scenario, my mind's going to start wondering and, you know, I'll start, uh, inventing probably a story that goes along with something yeah. else. And mm. as it like, uh, affects me, affects the way I feel about it, then yeah. Like the, what I would find interesting, because normally when I look at stuff, I look for symmetry, you know, it's like my eye always mm -hmm. looks for that. And if I spent more time, maybe I would develop a story that the picture would need to be from a different place or a different angle to, to match that narrative that I've created. That's, yeah. that's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. Something I, uh, I heard somebody talking about a little while back is they've transitioned to at least sometimes. Uh, using a film camera instead of their digital camera mm -hmm. because it adds, you know, weight to every image. You've only got, you know, like 30, 30, 35 shots on this roll. So I've got to make everyone count. And so there's just more thought and intention that goes into every picture. Absolutely. I thought that was a really interesting concept. That's not something I'm going to do because I'm too cheap and lazy, but... <laughs> No, it does. I mean, it does force you to pay attention in a different way. I, it's funny, actually, you mentioned that. I recently got um, it's an antique camera. I think it's from 1941. Mm. And it basically has two controls. You can't focus at it. There's no focus mechanism. Um, but uh, you can switch the focal length. And um, that's, I think that's basically it. And it's... Um, it's a medium format camera. So there's only, you can, it only uses uh, 12 exposures. Uh, so you even have fewer than you would with 35 millimeter film. So, um, so if your choice is 12, you know, that's going to slow you down even more. Like you really have to, uh, uh, and because of the way it's, it's, it's a viewfinder camera. So you actually have to look down into it. Mm. So you're seeing the image, um, from the opposite direction because it's reflected through the mirror, which is how you see the image. So, um, so it, it's, it really gets you to pay attention in a way, you know, you wouldn't with your phone just for that reason. Cause you're not quite sure. Like it's, I'm still struggling with, because the image is backwards. Like, you know, when I want to, get corrected or make sure I'm pointing <laughs> in the right direction. I always go the opposite direction still of what, you know, 
what the image is just because it's so ingrained. And um, I've, I've been enjoying sort of like, I have to really slow the heck down here to just see if I could do this right. So, um, so it's a lot of fun to, to try. Do you feel, do you think you, it makes you feel different just holding that camera, maybe connected to some Absolutely. piece of history or something? Yeah. Um, cause you have to look at it, you know, you're, you're holding it in a different way. It's heavy. It's kind of like a tin can. Um, <laughs> and it's, it, you're, you're just physically engaged with it in a very different way. So, um, that already changes how you're seeing things. I think, um, do you think it makes you feel creative in a different way? Yeah, I like it. It just as it's another option. I think, and, and it's nice too, because of it's so low tech, um, you know, and the images are not pin sharp mm. in the way that, um, digital photography is. And since you can't manually focus it, um, you know, it's a little soft and it's film. So it looks different because it's film, but the softness is quite beautiful. And, you know, there are lots of great photographs that are a little out of focus and that are soft. And um, I think it's a good corrective um, that everything has to be that precise all the time. Um, Cause like the, you know, the first photographers, not everything was in focus because it was always, it was a long exposure. Mm -hmm. And so the subject was breathing so there's always just a little blur. There's always one area that's kind of just soft because um, the long, you know, it was like a second. So um, just the shift in breathing changes the focus a little bit. Um, but there's, you know, there's such power in those images. And, you know, you wouldn't say it's a bad photograph because it's a little out of focus. Um, I think that's, it's a great metaphor for a lot of things, right? That it can still be beautiful and amazing without being absolutely perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of that. It's almost, uh, that camera almost gives you permission to just try and capture the spirit of the thing as opposed right. to like get it precisely right angled with uh, exposure just correct and the f-stop set precisely. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean... And that's, you know, and that stuff matters. I, it's, you know, it's always the ongoing debate, like, you know, for, for any maker at a certain level, you know, you need a certain technique, a certain level of technique or mm -hmm. a certain understanding of your materials. And yet that has to be balanced with, you know, the openness of how you use that technique and, um, you know, it's always a shifting line. It's always a shifting balance. And, um, but I think ultimately the tech technique is always there to serve the vision and not, you know, the other way around, uh, you know, you need, you know, like with you recording this, you know, there's a certain base level of skill you have to have to do this, or, you know, all your podcasts are going to be, you know, the adults from the peanuts just going, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you know, so there's, um, it's you know it's just it's this tricky balance always i think mm -hmm. that's part of the fun of it i think too uh, oh yeah definitely it's mm -hmm. um it's a skill that you can hone and acquire and uh 
it's it's never simple. No part of right. it is ever simple. Yeah. Constant pursuit of perfection, I guess. Yeah, and you never actually get it, right? I mean, that's the other part of it. That's what keeps you coming back. So. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, something you touched on earlier, um, just briefly, you you glanced you glanced on it. Uh, was uh, you said something about how um, make the art that you like, and I was thinking about how used to I would say like you know fifty years ago. I mean, it's not even that long ago. You know, you maybe you created art that you really liked. And you wouldn't necessarily always be able to find an audience for it. But now with like the internet, if you create art you like and you can get it up there, I mean, there's going to be thousands of other people that love that thing just as much as you do. And they're going to love the stuff you do. And you can actually find a community and, and all that stuff. Is that, um, is that uh, something you think about every now and then? Like when you're talking about I mean, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I'm old enough. Um, you know, so I'm 55 and I came of age before the internet, you know, like mm. back in the stone age before, you know, all of this stuff existed. <laughs> and, and I mean, there's a couple levels to sort of talk about that um, because it used to be, particularly in terms of what we refer to like as high culture in a way that um, everything was very centralized and sort of came through large organizations and large presenting organizations as it were. Um, and, you know, it's sort of like the change from having three TV channels to a million TV channels now. So that broad house who's telling the story who's shaping the story is wildly decentralized rather than it was just these three networks mm. um, telling that story. Um, and I think, you know, particularly for larger cultural institutions, they've, and, you know, they still have their authority in one way, but now that the DIY culture and all these other ways of getting your work out there, um, you know, has really altered that model. But at the same time, it's very, it's similar to the economy now that there used to be with that kind of sort of centralization um, that there was always this sort of tier, middle ground tier where you could have a career like teaching at a college and still write your books and that there was a way sort of a middle-class way of surviving as a maker. Um, and then there was, you know, the, the high end version of that. And then sort of just the smaller, you know, I make this in my house and share it with my friends version, but there used to be a sort of fairly solid middle ground where you could sustain a creative life. And um, that's been gutted that's the thing that doesn't exist now um, in a way. And I think it's very similar to the economy of with, you know, particularly the way we see, you know, these great extremes in, in income inequality uh, now. Um, so it's the, you know, it's the challenge always of the do it yourself part is how do you sustain that? And, you know, is there a way to sort of, make a living doing that. And some people are very good at it. And some people are, you know, are not, um, because there is an element of luck 
in it too. Mm. And uh, an element of being in the right format and, you know, who's the person that saw it and something goes viral. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, I, I think it's good that it, you know, it, that there has been this sort of decentralization because it's opened up all kinds of different stories and different storytelling possibilities and particularly with underrepresented and underserved audiences and makers, um, there's all kinds of opportunities available that were not available before. So that's nothing but a good thing, I think. Um, but, you know, the sustainability question is, is still a very big one and nobody's figured that out yet. I mean, if you look at something like Instagram, which is very useful in some ways, um, you know, but it's the models backwards in that, you know, the creators are giving their work away for free. So Mark Zuckerberg can make a lot of money. Um, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know how that worked out. Like how did that become <laughs> the way to make work now? So you're, you're going to give all of your content away. Um, so someone else can make money off of it. Um, so it's, I didn't, they're very complex questions. I don't know, you know, we're, nobody's figured it out yet. These are all still very new technologies. I think we're still in, we're kind of the, you know, the test version of it. Hmm. Um, Do you think social so, media is what really started the shift from the kind of the old model to this new model? No, I think it started much before then. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I think it, it it's a very complicated answer. I mean, I think, you know, the, <laughs> the culture war in the country that's, you know, been going on since Ronald Reagan became president, um, you know, the effort to sort of undo things like the National Endowment for the Arts, or if you look at um, how arts education is just completely destroyed in America now in public schools. Um, mm -hmm. uh, or bands or, you know, things that people had an opportunity at least to just try stuff. And, you know, not that everybody needs to be an artist, but that there was always like, you know, you could be in the chorus or, you know, your school did a play. And, um, and I think those things are sort of much fewer and far between now. And um, it, it has an effect of losing an audience, you know, you may not be a performer, but having, you know, being the third dancer to the right in your high school production of Damn Yankees, you know, got you interested in theater. And, you know, so you're a good audience member because you enjoyed that now and you remember that experience. Um, and without having access to the experience, most people generally just don't have a taste for it on your own. Right. You know, um, you need something to bring you into it, something that you find rewarding and exciting and um, and that gets you curious about it. And um, so, I, you know, I don't I don't I I don't have a grand unified theory about any of this, <laughs> but um, but I've certainly seen it undone. And I think, you know, and it's one of the the challenges of social media and certainly our tools because our tools um, are so good 
now. And in one way that makes us very lazy as makers. Uh, so, you know, your basic digital camera is, you know, an astounding tool mm. and, um, you don't really have to know how to use it to get a great picture. Um, you know, or, and I'm not knocking any of this. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking any of it, but, um, you know, somebody who takes a picture on their phone and slaps a filter on it and then says, I'm a photographer. Yes, that's true. <laughs> and there is a certain kind of democratization to it that I think is helpful. I'm always, anything that gets people to make things, I'm always very happy about, but I always want people to go further. Like, you know, if you put a filter on something, somebody else made those choices for you. Hmm. And, you know, I always want to say like, take that and next, you know, learn more. So then you can be the person making the choices, even if it's just a picture for yourself or, you know, you share with your friends, um, you be the one making the choices rather than like here are four and pick one. Um, so I don't know that I answered your question, but it's, it's a very murky, you know, yeah. complicated thing we're trying to untangle. Uh, and, you know, sort of nobody knows where we are now yeah. with it. Well, you touched on a lot of things I found really interesting. The idea that um, you need to at least be introduced to a lot of things. So, uh, you know, if, you know, I, I love uh, sushi and Asian food. And if nobody had ever introduced me to it, you know, that'd be a whole portion of my life that just wouldn't exist. And right. Yeah. I think, you know, I love to learn new things. I love to, uh, I super love uh, meeting new people and learning about their experiences and things like that. But, you know, how are you supposed to um, have any idea of what you're going to like, especially as a kid, right? As a kid, you don't yeah. know anything and you honestly don't want to do anything except for, you know, ride your bike or, you know, just right. do the things you want to do. So if you're not yeah. at least casually introduced to all these things, yeah. how are you going to know uh, what you like? There was... um. There was a parable I remember hearing. It was this guy who was a, a great uh, military general. He, he died and he goes to heaven, right? And he's talking to, to somebody up there. I don't remember who. And he's like, um, maybe he's talking to God in this scenario. And he goes, you know, who's the greatest general of all time? And uh, he, uh, you know, God looks over and he points at this guy over there and he goes, it can't be that guy. He was just a, he was a cobbler in my town. He just, he made shoes. And he goes, yeah, but had he chosen to be a general, he would have been the best general of all time amongst all people. And mm. to me, it was like, you know, we all probably have these amazing capabilities at things. Um, but if we're never introduced to them, you know, how are we ever going to really kind of explore that potential in those things? Right. And so I'm definitely well, an advocate it, of trying many things. Yeah. And it's always, you know, you kind of need someone along the way to, a, to first ask you, like somebody asked you to try sushi, right? Yeah, yeah. They're like, Greg, you know, really, you might want to have a little bit, you know, a little taste of this. Um, and then you need the person after that who's then can tell you like the next step and sort of point you in the right direction. Um, so, you know, maybe your friend was like, hey, you know, dial back the wasabi, you know. You're gonna... <laughs> Don't just put that in your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You'll be sorry. Um, so, you know, so there it's, I always, all culture on some level is kind of passed from hand to hand, I think, 
Mm. Um, even for all of our sophisticated equipment, um, it's still a process of just a hand-to-hand thing. Um, you know, somebody has to, if you're a chef, somebody has to teach you the right technique to dice an onion. You know, now we can watch it on YouTube and that's great. And YouTube has answered so many questions in my life. Um, but you know, how you learn how the weights distributed from your shoulder, you know, through your elbow to get sort of the right cut, the right weight. And if your knife is dull and all of that, like somebody has that knowledge, they Mm. have to give it to you. And generally that happens in person. Mm. Um, Well, you you can't ask a video a question. Right. Yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer in the, you know, personal handing on it's you know it's all one big um oh shoot what's it called a baton race is that the you know the runners pass the baton oh like a relay race relay that's it yeah Um, (laughs) so well two of your definitions were guide and educator so i think those sort of go hand in hand don't they yeah i think so and i um you know i all the good teachers i've ever had were the ones who were who just said, Hey, have you ever thought about trying this? And, you know, be like, no, I haven't. And they're like, well, go ahead and try, see what happens. And, um, I think, you know, those have been the, the teachers I always come back to in my mind of sort of the ones who've affected me the most and sort of got me started on some various tracks that I've been in on in my life, but really it's, you need, I think it's two things. You need somebody to ask questions, you know, the why question, why are you doing this? And not the like, why are you doing this? Oh my God. You know, but, um, (laughs) but, you know, tell me more, what's your process? Why did you make this decision? What were you thinking? You know, those kinds of questions. Um, but I think for makers of all kinds, um, you know, making things is hard. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of anxiety about it. Like you're doing it wrong or you'll never figure it out or, you know, and you know, you're on the trail sort of all the time kind of by yourself and you have to make, that's the hard part about making something. It's the, not only do you have to make it, you have to figure out how to make it at the same time, uh, which is a very difficult problem. And I think generally you need somebody who can just stay with you on the path and teach you how not to get freaked out, you know, (laughs) Um, because I think that's always where a lot of projects can go awry as people sort of get freaked out fairly early on and then they stop. And if you have someone who can be like, Hey, you know, let's just, stay here for a second, you know, what's going on, notice. And, um, you know, eventually you can get past that anxiety or you can learn how to work with it because that's just part of the process. That's just that point where you're like, I really don't know how to do this and I'm going to have to figure it out and find a way into this. Um, and, you know, and I, there are so many books about creativity and I'm not, again, I'm not knocking any of them. I've used a lot of them myself Mm -hmm. and I've learned a lot from them, but um, 
we tend to want sort of the template or somebody, you know, like if you do these things, it will work. Um, <laughs> and, you know, generally it may be true, but there's always going to be some weird idiosyncratic part of it. That's your process. And it's, you know, I, when I work with people, um, a large part of what I do is kind of teach them their own process, like rather than saying like, this is how you have to do it. I'm like, this is how you do it. So let's get, let's get you up to speed on how you do it. So then you're not panicking, you know, the next time out where you you're like, crap, I don't know how to do this, you know? Um, so does that make sense? I'm yeah, absolutely. Ram- I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here. No, but, no, uh, you work on the process. Well, something, something that occurs to me is when you're working with people, you're mentoring, how do you talk to them about failure and what it means to fail? And, you know, like generally just dealing with that in gen- you know, just on the whole, because like, I know in my personal life, that's kind of how I learn to do things. I fail Absolutely. Over and over and over until it finally works. And I'm like, okay, well, this is how yeah. I do this now. And then I'll try something right. else and I'll fail and fail and fail until yeah. uh, I think that's um, at least in IT, like, you know, like information technology, the career yeah. I've had my entire life. That's kind of how we all do it. Uh, we just fail and fail yeah. and fail until we start failing less and just move in that direction. Uh, you know, junior engineers, when I'd work with them, I would always tell them, all right, everything's going to be on fire. And you're going to fold like a lawn chair and that's okay. You know, it's like everybody does the first time, you know what I mean? It's just, it's tough. It's terrifying. You're going to start sweating, you know, you'll be okay. At the end of this, nobody's going to go to your house and kick your dog. You know, you'll, you'll still eat everything. Well, you're not getting fired. So just be ready for it, you know? And so we just talk about, you know, failing, try and set up environments where it's safe to fail, like, you know, give you, you know, this place, learn to fail, learn to fail. But truly until you're, you know, on the trapeze with no net, you don't really know what that feels like. So I'm just curious, yeah, and, like, and, what do you do to relay that to people? I think basically kind of what you just said. I mean, I think it's partly it's about always lowering the temperature. Um, you know, we're in a very success driven culture mm-hmm. and um, and the pressure to succeed, you know, is quite intense and. And a lot of people pay lip service to failure, um, but it's a hard place to inhabit and Mm. it's a hard place to sort of stay comfortable with. Um, Because as you said, you know, generally most things don't work. That's just part (laughs) of it, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, again, if you are figuring out how to make something while you're making it, you know, if you knew how to do it, you would just do it. Right. I mean, that's always sort of the, the simplest version is mm-hmm. just, you know, you would just do it. And I, um, you know, but it's, I think it's a question of also getting people to understand what's really at stake, um, and sort of how, what they're bringing to that and sort of what, their own expectations are and what they believe it means about who they are. Mm. And, um, you know, so it's, it's very delicate and everybody, you know, we're, we're, we're all very sensitive and, 
Um, Whether we want to admit it or not. Right. right yeah. And you know, there's yeah. always, we've all had that experience of like that thing that you put your heart into and mm -hmm. you show it to somebody and they're like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> you're just like really that's all you got you know that's that feels bad <laughs> and there's um but it's but even that is a very instructive experience because mm. i think this is the hardest thing um any maker of any kind encounters is that once you've made it and you've put it out in the world you have zero control how people respond to it mm -hmm. and there is literally nothing you can do. Um, and you can make yourself crazy trying to sort of be like, no, I meant this. It's this, you know, where did you get that? It meant this. Um, but that's a really challenging thing. And what may look like failure because somebody didn't understand it, you know, is that failure? I don't know. Um, I mean, I've written some, theater work and i've had the experience of you know sitting in the audience for a piece that i wrote you know it's a thousand people in a room it's a very terrifying experience to like be there and you're like oh god you know this was my idea why did i think this was a good idea and now all these other people are in the room with me but um and you know afterward there's always sort of you know the nice reception and everybody's happy and congratulating you and then there's always that one person where you, you know the thought balloon in my head is like really that's what you got mm. really you, that's the thing you took away you know, you know so I, I, to me that's so funny because sometimes mm. like if i create something or i do something um or i introduce somebody to something that i really love and they don't enjoy it in the way that i want them to that like kind of it's like wait a minute hang on a second you need to like this the way I want you to like, you know, absolutely. It's, it's yeah. so funny. It's you put things out there for people to experience. Yeah. You don't get to choose how they're going to like this thing. Yeah. And you know, none of us are, I mean, I don't, maybe you are Greg, I don't know, but um, <laughs> none of us are like, you know, this incredible Buddha where you're just like, I'm so Zen about this. I've made it and I've put it out. <laughs> and it'll be exactly what it will be. And I'm fine no matter <laughs> what. Um, you know, it's hard. It's something from you. And, mm. you know, we all want to be liked. And, um, you know, so it's, but I think really the main thing about failure and it's, is really learning how to stay with it. I think that's what I was trying to say earlier about the anxiety thing, because that feels like failure. Mm. Like I'm not getting it. Something's wrong. I should be, I should know how to do this. Um, and, you know, it's not, it's just a point of saying, I, I'm figuring out how to do this. This is what I'm doing now. And at some point down the road, I will know, you know, or I'll get, a, I'll get another, you know, there'll be another breadcrumb on the trail mm -hmm. and I can keep going. And, um, you know, I think most people quit too soon. I think most people give up too soon because we're, um, we're just wired, you know, that you have to succeed right away. Everything is so fast now. And, um, and for a lot of people, I mean, it's interesting if you look at sort of like, you know, popular music now and the way the recording industry has changed, mm. um, you know, it used to be that a recording artist, you know, if a record company picked them up, they were generally invested in them over a very long period of time they had 
a fairly long period of time to develop their sound and uh you know they could experiment you know not one one album didn't have to sound like the next album and um and i i promise everybody i'm not like the old man who yells at clouds i'm like you know it's not like it was so much better then but <laughs> if you look at most pop musicians today like they get one or two chances and then they're gone like that ability to sort of experiment over time or grow into that talent doesn't exist in the same way. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, Taylor Swift is a multimedia conglomerate, you know, or Rihanna, um, Rihanna, you know, like it's not about music. It's about, you know, we're now this vertical holding company that we, you know, make a billion dollars selling makeup and cologne and God mm -hmm. bless them. You know, I'm glad they're making a lot of money, but um, the opportunity for people in that position to fail is uh, not big, uh, not, not in the way that it used to be. And I think, you know, that's true on a macro level and uh, a micro level in a way. So, um, I mean, it's funny. I always got a chuckle that, you know, it was kind of like one of the business, you know, school things where I think maybe it was Steve Jobs was using the quote, but it was, you know, fail, fail again, fail better, fail better, you know? Well, that's from Samuel Beckett, who was you know, like, the least optimistic person who ever lived <laughs> and I, you know he's somewhere having a really good laugh that uh people misunderstood you know what he meant by that um that it wasn't this sort of positive mantra to sort of keep going it was like for him failure was the only thing that was possible and um <laughs> And I always see everyone, so I'm like, do you really know where that came from? Because it, it means something a little different, I think. But, um, but you know, I, we can all afford to be kinder to ourselves about that and kinder to each other about it because it's just, it's hard to make stuff. That's, that's fine. That's just what it is. So, yeah, absolutely. And I find that, uh, like you said, you have to learn these skills along the way. Um, that can be such a grind and so tedious and yeah. sometimes overwhelming like i'll never figure this out like it's going to take me forever where this task is so tedious it's going to take me ages um so i've done um, some online education stuff like linkedin learning and so you get a course mm -hmm. and you have to make all the slide decks you got to write this entire script right it and also by the way it has to be coherent yeah <laughs> it has to make yeah, sense and yeah. Um, when you're doing this stuff, you've got deadlines and it just feels like I'm never going to get this done. Like, you know, it's that whole, uh, old adage of how do you eat an elephant? You know, it's like mm -hmm. one bite at a time and yeah. it could just feel so overwhelming. And, um, at some point it becomes, uh, more common and then you get a little bit of momentum and you start moving and you figure the thing out. And, uh, for me, that's, that's kind of the part I like where you sort of hit your stride or maybe it's like, uh, we call that like the runner's high because, yeah. you know, if you're in the middle of like a 10 mile run, you know, it's not a pleasant experience, but yeah, you'll, that's... you'll find some, you'll find some kind of Zen state that you could just push forward in. Right. And well, and also there's it. that moment too, and I'm sure it's the same for you with IT, but um, that moment where it clicks, where the thing falls into place, like how much, that's always so much fun, right? That's the thing that gets you back. Yeah. Going. Yeah. You and, get that fist pump. You're like, yeah. Yeah. And you're like, 
<laughs> you, and you can't predict when that's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the, you know, in one way that can be a fun part of the process. It's sort of like, well, when will that happen? <laughs> you know, um, and hopefully it's not like at the very last possible part, but, <laughs> um, but again, it's sort of learning how to stay with it. Uh, so that can happen, mm. you know, cause I think, um, again, we just, often people tend to give up too soon. So, Well, something I found too, like in my career, as I progressed, you know, and became a manager, um, I ended up working on more longer term projects where you don't get those wins, you know, those little wins. And so I found myself giving my people those wins, those little wins. I would, I would let them have those wins. Okay. And uh, that kind of drained me. And then eventually I learned, you know what? It's okay for me to get one of those every now and then. You know, just to yeah. sustain myself through the the long desert there. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's always it's always a little longer than you think it's going to be. I mean, that's just oh, yeah. I think you know, and um, I think we you know, I think for most makers, everybody forgets it every time. Like, <laughs> like you don't go into like now. Remember, it's going to take longer than you think. You know. You start out and you're like, God, this is taking forever. Like, what the hell? This is so wrong. Um, <laughs> but it always takes a little longer than you Set think. Your can. personal expectations for sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, again, that's one of those things we can be sort of, it's not failing. It's just, that's the process. Can you accept that? You know? And I think, you know, we, we live with sort of something like, here's a hack. Here's a hack. If you do this, it'll happen really quickly. And you know, that works with some things, but, um, but a lot of stuff you can't hack it. You have yeah. to. <laughs> just... That feels like gambling to me. You know, yeah. oh, if you just take all of your money and you put it on, uh, one square on the roulette table, you could all of a sudden be, you know, but odds yeah. are it's not going to happen. So yeah. sometimes you just got to put in the work or yeah. you know what? Most of the time you just got to put in the work. Yeah. And just, you know, I think it's, um, it's, you know, it's a question of faith. And, you know, how, how do you sustain that faith in that process and your vision and, hmm. you know, where you want to go? Because I think that's, it's kind of, you know, it's a squishy subject and it sort of, you know, can make people uncomfortable, but um, you do have to have a certain kind of crazy belief in it, you know, and a certain kind of faith that um, it'll work, that you'll get there. I have never thought of it in that term or rather in those terms, like faith, because that's really, it is right. It's like belief yeah. in the absence of evidence. <laughs> you yeah. know, I, I believe this is going to happen. I believe this will be true. And you yeah. just have to maintain that. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause it's, um, if you don't have that, you're going to run out of gas pretty fast. I, you know, cause then you just be like, well, fuck this shit. I'm out. You know, I, gotta, <laughs> I, wanna, I just wanted, you know, eat my bag of salt and pepper potato chips now with some amount of cheese. <laughs> so, um, but I think, you know, the, the, it's always, it's a question, it's a conversation people are uncomfortable having because it gets into sort of, you know, questions about belief and purpose and meaning and how you make meaning out of that process. And, um, but, you know, you wouldn't do it if you didn't think there was a meaning to it or, you know, a purpose. So, um, I, I'd always want to have a little more room for that part of the conversation, you know, cause what keeps you going, 
Yeah. Why do you feel like that's a difficult conversation to have, like the purpose or meaning? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I there's I mean it goes it cuts in two different ways because um for like for particularly for visual artists, I would say like, you know, for grant funding or an exhibition, you always have to write an artist statement where it's, you know, which generally you're making up after the fact, after you've made the work of <laughs> um I set out to make this thing. It touches on this issue. It raises this question. It does this thing. It will affect society in this way. And, mm. you know, we'll solve climate change, whatever. Mm. Um, I, you know, and I always find them incredibly irritating because <laughs> nobody makes anything that way. Um, you know, you may even start with that and then the work is always going to go where it goes. And if you were, really keyed into what you're making, you know, you follow where it wants to go. Mm. And, um, but it gets into that sort of, I think, you know, again, that kind of anxiety question, like nobody really wants to say, I don't quite know. I think I'm doing this. I'm trying to do this. I think this is what I'm after. I'm not quite sure. Um, Cause that sounds like you don't know what you're doing. And, um, but, you know, on some level, I don't know that it's conscious, but on some level, um, you do know what you're doing and you do know what you're trying to say. And it's part of that process is just getting all the stuff out of the way so that can emerge and, mm. you know, keeping that channel sort of as, clear and open as you can possibly keep it. Um, but I think, you know, to talk about, you know, meaning or belief or faith, you know, and I, it, we live in a very secular time and, you know, that makes everybody nervous, but um, it's, I think one of the great breaks that modernism um, created was that, and not, and I, I'm speaking very broadly here. I want to be very clear that I'm really generalizing, but um, most art from like cave painting up until the First World War um, was in service of a higher belief in a way. Um, if you think most of the great painters, you know, whether they were religious or not is a different question, but the art they were making for their patrons was most often religious. Mm. And that could be, you know, a Greek sculptor making a sculptor of a God or, you know, Caravaggio painting a painting for the interior of a church um, or Bach writing for a weekly service. Um, and that's a thread that's been severed in a way. And cause it was very explicit, like, you know, I'm writing this for church. This goes in a church. This, mm. you know, is for a temple. This, um, and, uh, you know, the idea of personal expression is a fairly recent invention in terms of making things like most makers historically were, you know, thought of themselves more as craftspeople or, you know, that many of them were servants and 
worked at the behest of somebody who had the power, who had the money, who could pay for it. Um, and the idea of this sort of this romantic idea of like the genius who has this thing that he has to get out and express is <laughs> that's really not until like the late 1800s, 1900s. Um, so that's a fairly recent change, I think. Um, and we all like that one because it's very glamorous and it sounds, you know, you're suffering and you're wrestling with the muse and, you know, you're locked somewhere alone in your studio and, you know, <laughs> you're drunk and, you know, and then one day you get it, you wrestle it to the ground and it happens. Um, and I mean, A, that sounds like a terrible process, but B, um, part of the pressure of that is that it's not, um, there's not a larger context to it, I think, sometimes. Um, so, you know, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for any particular belief system either, but I think there has to be a sort of behind it, that, that faith question of, you know, you are contributing to something larger, you're con something bigger is coming through you. You are a channel that something has to, that only, you know, whatever that thing is, it can only come through you, but, you know, it's not you, it's coming through you. And I think that's a very different um, way of looking at it. Um, well, as you described the the old style where you're, you're creating, you know, uh, generally religious art of some sort, um, that feels a little safer to me for multiple reasons. It's like, you know, as long as I'm, you know, good at creating this, uh, you know, I'm going to keep getting jobs. But two, it's like yeah. the idea of I'm creating art that's supposedly just a part of me and out of my head and, you know, is representative of me and people don't like that. It's like, oh my gosh, like that feels like that would be a crushing blow. Right. You know, so the other, if they don't like the art, perhaps they just don't subscribe to that religious belief system or something like that. So, right. Yeah. You know, and I, there were, you know, like somebody like Michelangelo fought, fought with his patrons all the time. And, you know, and I think that was partly what they were paying for in a way was like, you know, Oh, the genius is going to give me a hard time, you know, so I'm, <laughs> I must be worthwhile if he's going to give me a hard time. But, um, but even that it's still that struggle to realize the vision came from a, a place of very profound spiritual conviction. And, um, and we, you know, we tend to lose sight of that because so much of the, the meaning of the content that was meaningful at the time has fallen away now. So we look at it, we perceive it very differently. And, um, you know, and that's just, you know, history and you know the way things happen is you know some meaning falls away and then another meaning comes out of it and i think that's why certain things stick around and certain things mm -hmm. don't right because an another meaning is possible another reading is possible uh well something you mentioned earlier you said you follow where it wants you to go and that is so true so um i started this podcast and i wasn't 100 percent sure why i started it or mm -hmm. the direction it was going to go but I started it and now I, it, it told me where it wanted me to take it. And it's kind of the flow and the form that I follow. And I truly enjoy it. Maybe I was just chasing after the things that I really liked about it and the things that it kind of lit up in me and, you know, it steered me one direction or the other. But like, if I was to write a mission statement before, um, I started this thing, like you said, um, I don't think it would be 
very representative of what it's become. I'm curious, in that unfolding, did you have a moment where you were like, oh, wait, it's this. I thought I was doing this one thing, but actually it turns out it's this other thing. I don't know that I ever necessarily had an epiphany, you know, like like uh, hair on the back of my neck stand up sort of moment, okay. or this moment of clarity. It just sort of gradually morphed into it. I think I I had some episodes that it just felt right. You mm -hmm. know, it just clicked yeah. and, and I was like, I like the way that made me feel. How do I do more of that? And right. Well, see, that. that gets into the sort of, I, you know, I don't want to make it too mysterious, but that kind of gets into sort of, you know, the magic part of it in a way. Mm. It's just, can you describe, you know, that feeling of rightness? You know, could you duplicate the circumstances that got you to that point of rightness every time? So like, if I do these things, I will get to this point of feeling right. Um, you know, it's such an intuitive thing. And I think, you know, we have to sort of, I always want room for that mystery to be there um, mm -hmm. because it is intuitive. And, and certainly you have a better chance of getting to that mysterious place if you have a certain structure and a certain process. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm not against any of that. Um, they're very helpful, but, um, but it's, you know, it's a thing you can't really explain mm -hmm. except, you know, that it is this inner conviction that this is the, the right area. This is it. Uh, well, I know uh, there's very specific things about it that, that I've uh -huh. now kind of gone back and examined and, you know, looked at myself and my feelings and figured out the pieces that I really like about it. But to, to the question of can I repeat it consistently? No, because my medium is is people, and right, it's it mostly people I don't really know, and so who's to say? You know, I don't yeah. I don't know if we'll get to this place or that place, and it all is predicated on how open they are, or um, just you know, I mean, sometimes you connect with people, uh, certain people, and sometimes you don't. You know, it's not right. good or bad; it just is what it is. And, yeah. But it's also, I mean, again, I think that is a, a faith question because much of what you're doing is an improvisation mm -hmm. and you have a certain, you have a sense of how it works now mm -hmm. and you have a sense of when it's working and sort of ways of directing it, mm -hmm. you know, knowing when to listen, knowing when to press somebody, knowing, you know, when to pull back. Um, but every time you go into it, you're taking a pretty big leap of faith. Like, Oh, I hope this works. Or, I hope this person's interesting or, you know, I hope <laughs> we find the vibe, whatever it is. I hope we feel, yeah. you know, that we're on the same wavelength that we can, you know, keep hitting the ball back and forth. Um, that's like the two, I have two sports metaphors I can use in life. That's one. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went just, I'm going to go for broke, but, um, but it is, you know, the, that stepping out is always, you know, the, the risk, the faith part. So. Yeah. And that's one of the exciting parts for me. Yeah. I like not knowing what somebody's going to say, or I like not knowing where it's going to go. And I can envision a scenario where eventually I talk to people and I don't know anything about them. Absolutely nothing. Just to see what happens. Just to see uh, if uh, if we can carry the conversation. And I, I know we can. I know 100% that we we can. It just it, I guess it just increases, ratchets up the excitement a little bit for yeah. me. Yeah. Because it's, you know, 
discovery, right? That's always the fun part of making is discovering. Yeah. I like the, yeah. uh, the like you described it, the improvisational aspects of it too. And I really love it when somebody um, changes or challenges a preconceived notion I have. Okay. Somebody says something that I had never thought of in that way. I mean, the fantasy restaurant, yeah, you definitely threw me for a loop in that one. But, you know, just like the idea of, um, you know, how do you sustain your faith in a project? Because I'd never thought of it as like, you know, I mean, and it absolutely fits that description. You know, I've never thought of it as like, a, a, you need a belief system in place for you to see this thing through. And uh, I, I just, so I love, I love being challenged and things like that. Well, that's, that's a rare gift. So good for you. Cause you know, <laughs> we're not, <laughs> we're all in our silos now, right? After, uh, yeah, we, we don't want to be challenged. So. Well, so many good things came to me in my life from saying yes. Uh, just saying yes and being willing to try something, say, okay, yeah. you know, I'll do it. Let's see what happens. And uh, it's just, it's like that fear. I used to be so terrified of change and I found all the best things in life have come to me from change. And so I've learned to not only embrace it, but to uh, almost crave it, right? Like I, yeah. I love, I love the new discovery. I love the new next thing, the new way somebody's going to change me to be a better human. Like I, I actively yeah. love that portion. Yeah. And it's, I think, you know, it's really important to add to that too, is that you're not um, generally, you know, you're not starting from scratch each time either. Yeah. You know, you want one hopes that you have some wisdom along the way or, you know, <laughs> a little experience where, you know, you can say, yeah, I can say yes to this and also like keep away from this other thing. Because um, <laughs> that, that could go bad. Um, and, you know, so it, it's a cumulative process, but I, I mean, I feel the same way you do. I think the things that I've, I've done best at in life were things I didn't quite know how to do, but somebody just said, Hey, could you try this? And I was like, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. And that usually then started something. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, it's, that's a fun place to be, you know, you are kind of without a net, but yeah, it's um, exciting. And it could go, it could go bad in all kinds of ways too, but oh, yeah. you can't, you know, you can't, um, spend too much time yeah. thinking on, thinking can't about, worry that. Too much about that. Yeah. Well, you are super multifaceted. One of the things you talked about was how, um, you've done some writing in the past and digging around. I saw that you wrote a little essay called the question I asked him. And uh, I think that was in a compilation called The Man I Might Become. And so I have a feeling that was um, something outside of your uh, normal writing. And I was just curious how that came about and like uh, what you thought about all of that. What was that experience it's, like? Um, it was something I was, and thank you for mentioning that. It's um, It was something I was asked to do, actually. Again, somebody, ah. um, uh, I have a friend who was, a publisher, and he was putting together as an anthology of essays. Uh, it was gay men writing about their fathers, and you know, like the subject of all time for gay men. And um, <laughs> is that a pretty challenging one? Oh yeah, yeah. You <laughs> fraught with peril. Oh yeah, and um, and it's the interesting thing about the book. Like there are a lot of big name writers in it 
for that world and a lot of unknowns like me. And everyone brought their A game. There is not a bad essay in the book. And and it, I'm convinced it's because of the subject because anthologies generally tend to, you know, the quality can vary. And, you know, it's all about sort of what the editor selects. Um, but it was a friend of a friend sort of mentioned something about it. And then the editor reached out to me and said, you know, would you be interested in writing an essay? And I, essays are my favorite form as a writer. That's the thing I enjoy writing the most because really? they can, um, they're, they're free form. So you're kind of, they're about sort of the process of thinking on paper, kind of thinking out loud hmm. on paper. Um, and you can use so, the, so many different techniques in them. You know, it can be critical writing. It can be autobiographical writing. It can be narrative writing. It's um, poetic writing. There's all kinds of different kinds of language available in it. And um, so anyway, yeah. So I, you know, I didn't have much time actually. And I think I had like three weeks to write it. And so I, you know, I did and, you know, it's the piece that opens the book, which was a very happy oh, surprise wow. um, to me. So, um, and, you know, I think it's a fairly old piece. I still, I still stand by it as like one of the better things I've written mm. in life. And um, better things are the most proud of. I'm very proud of it. And I think it set the template for how I approach essays in general. Oh, wow. Um, and I, that was how I sort of discovered how I like to work with them. Um, so it's a very important piece to me for that, that reason. Um, and there's still, you know, there's elements of it in terms of um, the stories in it that I still come back to. I'm still kind of reckoning with them and kind of, you know, finding more layers in them. So, um, Someday it will be done. I, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious. In the process of writing this, there were probably some pieces that you had never really fully thought about or <clears throat> spent time to contemplate. I wonder, did you learn a little bit about yourself? Oh yeah, this? absolutely. And I think that's partly the reason why you know, a I enjoy writing, um, and also why writing is very difficult. I think for most people because it's about learning how you think and learning how you experience the world. And it takes time to sort of get past like your initial, like the hot take version of it, you know, um, or the story. We all have stories that we live and that we tell each other and that become sort of very familiar and they become very sort of um, rote in a way. And, you know, like I have four funny stories about my boss and I can, you know, if I'm at a party, I can tell, you know, and I'll generally tell it the same way and, you know, know how to sort of make the joke land. and Right. Um, right. You know all the beats to hit. Right. Yeah. Um, so kind of learning how to get past that, like to go another level or two deeper into that is challenging. Um I, it's funny. I was a, a, 
I belong to a, a photo group and we had a, a our monthly Zoom meetup yesterday. And one of the photographers is wonderful British photographer, uh, Philippa James, who is working on a new project and she's doing some writing with it. And, and she always says this to me, it makes me crazy. She's like, well, writing's so easy for you. And I'm like, writing is really hard. <laughs> I, you know, I, I think I'm a good writer. I enjoy writing and I still find it very difficult to do. Um, and I love doing it. I'm, I'm not the, I'm not saying the difficulty is, um, puts me off from it, but it's hard and it's, it, um, but it's rewarding again, to sort of be able to stay in that space a little bit and kind of start, you know, really asking a question, like, really, what do I think about this? Cause I th it's a wonderful surprise. It's like, sometimes, you know, we know more than we think we do. And, um, we think about things probably more differently than we realize. Um, and I think one thing I feel very confident about saying is the work is always smarter than you are. And if, you know, you can stay patient with that, you can learn a lot from the work because it's, it, it does know a little bit more than you do. So, um, I make this awesome so mysterious and I, you I don't do really, the work I, is smarter than you are. I've got so many like quotes from uh, here. <laughs> um, you know, it's not, I don't want to make it sound like it's all just woo, you know, <laughs> but, um, but I think there's always, you know, an element where you, I mean, I'm sure if you look at the history of your podcast, I'm sure there are th like clues early on. If you go back and look at it, there's probably clues early on in the process where the work was telling you what, what the show was going to be and where it wanted to go. And, and you were open enough to listen to them, but they were sort of there already. There was something that happened. Um, and, you know, that was taking shape that was forming and, you know, you, had the openness to respond to it, mm -hmm. but it knew. So that's kind of what I'm saying. It's like, you know, like, you, you know, people with babies, like babies, you know, they have their personality, they come out with their personality. Right. And, um, you know, and it takes time to reveal, but, you know, I'm the youngest of five and each of my siblings, we could not be more different from each other than, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, you know, we were in the same house, we had the same parents and, um, you know, I think that's most people, right? There's, yeah, there's oh, yeah. some, there's some acorn in there that, you know, only you have and yeah, we all hope it turns into a mighty oak. Absolutely. So. Well, something you touched on there is it's not always easy, even though you are a good writer, you've been doing it for a long uh -huh. time. A lot of people think that if you do something long enough, it's just going to come simple and it'll be so natural. But yeah. sometimes things are always uh, a little bit, you know, I mean, some of the greatest um, speakers, you know, get so nervous before a performance, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll be, their hands will be shaking or whatever. Right. But they'll go up there and they'll, um, who's it? Brene Brown. I, I was, she's just such an amazing speaker. And I heard her say that, yeah, it's just like, she's scared every time yeah. before she goes up on there. And, I think that's partly why she's so good because it makes her 
keep preparing and keep practicing and practicing, yeah. right? That helps push her to, to yeah. be better. So some parts aren't, some parts, unfortunately, probably will never be easy about it, but it doesn't right. mean it's not worth doing, right? Right. Well, and there's also, there are, you know, it's, there is a balance to that as well, because then there are things, you have more tools, you know how to work with it more. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, at the same time, time you have a greater sense of what's possible and um also a greater sense of the problems so i'm sure with coding you know you were you 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 are able to create more complex systems now than perhaps when you first started you have more options available to you um and you know like which are not the best options to pursue while you're making something. But because of that, you can open up a bigger can of worms too. So, um, so, you know, they're always, it's always shifting that, um, that ability to sort of be with it and also to that, it's going to pull you a little further along. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think as you go, you just add more tools to your toolbox and gives you more opportunities to, to do things yeah. or work with things doesn't necessarily mean it makes the handsaw uh, any less tedious to use. Right. Gotta... Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> you just gotta, you know, Get I've, there been, do it. I've been working on a photo project for just a little under a year now. And, and I sort of started it probably about five years ago. Um, and I didn't quite know what I was doing. It was only in this last year that I actually figured it out. Um, <laughs> and, I have so many pictures to edit and it's so tedious and, and I, I love the, the project. I love the images and, you know, I'm always like, Oh God, that, I could, I, I could just leave them all, you know, like <laughs> I did that much, um, you know, uh, cause the editing is it's, it's rewarding, but it's tedious. Like you just have to go in and do it. And, um, and that's, you know, we all have our things we procrastinate about mm-hmm. and um or the parts of it that aren't fun and uh you know and that's every you know that's everything so yeah so tell me about uh this essay have you gotten any feedback since it's, i mean it's it's been out a while i'm just curious if people reach out to you yeah every once in a while i hear from somebody um and i think uh what i'm sort of struck by is sort of the similarity of experience. Really? Um, and I think there is, um, and I, you know, maybe things are changing. I, I don't know, but, um, I think for a large contingent of gay men, you know, that's sort of the struggle with the father, um, is, is a pretty big thing and a big archetype and, um, and one that it's a it's hard to talk about and b um it's how do i want to say this it's um see it is hard to talk about um <laughs> I, I, I just proved my point um it's it's so complex cuz it just it sort of sets up this very large dynamic for uh, the rest of life. And, Mm. um, and I, you know, I, it, it happens more often than not. And I think, you Mm. know, I'm, I, 
that part of it, it's on one hand, it's a comfort. Um, on the other hand, it makes me very sad because um, it's a needless struggle and um, one can waste a tremendous amount of their lives sort of being caught in it. Um, but I think, you know, I, I, I can't remember who said it and, but I think, you know, it sort of gets at sort of the core of this is, which is that, you know, I think it was a writer, but they said, you know, I wrote because I, I didn't want, I didn't, I wanted to find out I wasn't alone. Hmm. And, um, you know, so, you know, you send up your flair and you hope somebody sees it and, you know, can recognize what, what that flair means and why you would have sent it up in the first place. So, um, but I think really it, that's sort of the heart of it is just that, you know, the one isn't alone and, mm. um, you know, we all share in experience more than we think we do. You know, I think that's a beautiful moment in everybody's life because yeah. I think at some point everybody feels they're alone. And yeah. then when there's that recognition in others of uh, that sameness or that, Hey, you know, we're, we're more alike than we are different in a lot yeah. of ways. I think that's that's an awesome experience, an awesome feeling. Well, I mean, that the idea that you would put that out there for somebody else to, you know, maybe find and have that recognition. Yeah, it's funny. The very first piece, large essay I wrote that was published, um, and this is going back, you know, a hundred years, but um, I was <laughs> like, you know, now I'd be like, tell my memoir story. Um, but it's. Uh, it was an essay I wrote. I was in graduate school. I was um, was a college teacher at the time, and I I lived in before I started graduate school. I I took a year off, and part of that year I lived in a monastery. And um, and I, I wasn't interested in becoming a monk. It was just like I had the time. This was something I wanted to do, and I was like, I either do this now or never. And um, <laughs> so um, and it was sort of fortuitously time with um, I had had sort of like my first boyfriend, like right before um, I, I went to the monastery and, and sort of having the opportunity to sort of step back and sort of figure out like, well, what is this going to mean? And what does this mean for me and the future of my life? And, and this was, you know, um, 1988, 89. So it's like the height of the AIDS epidemic. It was a terrible time to mm. be, you know, a young person coming out and, um, you know, just literally, you know, you could die if you slept with the man. And, um, and you know, I, I was raised Catholic. So if that's not like the ultimate Catholic guilt story, like, yeah, no kidding. Know, like, <laughs> you know, the wages of sin literally was death. Um, or, um, but, you know, in an odd way, I wound up exactly where I needed to be and um, having the opportunity to sort of stop and just be quiet and wade through that. Um, and I I was very fortunate. There was one monk there. Um, so part of the condition of living there was like they, the, you worked on the property. So they had a bakery. So I worked in the bakery and that you had a... Um, 
And let me tell you, working in a bakery in August in the Shenandoah Mountains is not where you want to be, but um, <laughs> that's that's a separate story. But um, um, but you did have sort of like a spiritual director while you were there, and um, and I, you know, I kind of hit the jackpot because the, the Father Robert was his name, and um, he, you know, saved my life in a lot of ways, and hmm. he was sort of the first person who was like, you know, and I was like crying and like, this is terrible. My life's ruined. And, um, and he just, you know, it was a very simple question, but he just said like, why, why are you so sure everybody else is right? Um, like, and I'm like, Oh, come on. Like, you know, <laughs> come on, you know? And he's like, no, seriously, think about it. Like why, why are you so willing to believe that everybody else is right with this thing that, you know, um, um wow. And um, that really, you know, changed my whole thinking. Um, and I can't say that it was, you know, an easy process after that, but I had that as a touchstone and a point of reference. Um, um, anyway, I'm really digressing here, but... Um, no, no, that was awesome. I had written an essay about my experience in the monastery and sort of... Um, the first time I slept with a man, which was not in the monastery. Everybody always goes there immediately. I'm like, that did not happen. Uh, you no, know, it was in the bakery, technically separated. Right, yeah. from, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, and I, you know, and I didn't realize sort of how personal it was when I was writing it, but it was just something I needed to write. And, um, and this, you know, like this would never happen again again it was such a different time but there was the the alternative paper the city paper in baltimore and i mailed the editor the essay and just on the odd chance that they might want to publish it and um and they did and it was on the front page and it was a wow. long piece and um and i was like it was the first sort of big thing published and like they commissioned artwork for it and oh wow it was very it was very exciting um and i never had the moment where i was like aware of the step i was taking hmm. um by doing this and until the morning the piece was published and i was driving to the school where i taught and um i can still picture it i was driving up charles street and there was a newspaper box on like every other block and they were the old, you know, where you could see the whole front of the paper in the, the newspaper box. So it was my essay, a big, you know, a big illustration, my name large. And, and um, it was, you know, opens with me, but that's man I met in a park. And, um, and like, I, as I was driving to school, it was the first time where I was like, holy crap what have i done <laughs> this is like the worst mistake i've ever made and there's literally I, there is no going back now like this is all just out here so it was a very strange drive to call it the school because like every three blocks i'd be like oh great look there it is how exciting and then like the next three blocks i just thought oh crap this is terrible you know um and and it was a very valuable lesson sort of very early on of like, it's out, there's nothing you can do. Mm. It's out in the world now and it's going to do what it's going to do. And, um, 
Was yeah, that a pretty yeah. liberating experience? It was, yeah. Um, and it's strange too, particularly with work that that's per that is that personal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because it it helps foster the illusion that people know you, in a way, and mm -hmm. um, you know, so they know an aspect of you or mm. a story that you told about yourself, but. Um, but it's still not you in a way. And it right. is, and it isn't. It's this funny, you know, liminal space of it's a thing that's connected to you, but it's not you. So, um, so gosh, I didn't expect to talk about that. You, you're very good, Greg. You pulled it, you know, you pulled out a big, a big thing, but no, that's, uh, I mean, that fascinates me. Uh, you know, and it, and also, I mean, so many interesting questions. Like you were talking about the question, are you sure? Why are you so sure that everyone else is right? That's fascinating. Do you feel like, did you say he was Father Frank? Is that his name? Father Robert. Father Robert. Do you feel like he was maybe the model um, for kind of how you mentor people now? I think in some ways, yeah, because he was very, um, that's a really interesting question. I hadn't made that connection before, but, um, but I think the main thing was, he never tried to convince me of anything and never in one way, never really told me what to do. Um, but I think, you know, just making the space to ask the questions or be that sort of that misguided in a way of like, you know, I know this is true. Um, and so earlier when you were talking about when you mentor people, you often say, hey, have you thought about it this way? Yeah. Thought about it that way. Not trying to tell them what to do. Yeah. Just introducing an idea. Yeah. That sounds like very parallel, uh, very parallel methods to me. Okay. I um, I'm gonna spend some time thinking about that. Now. It's really <laughs> fascinating. I haven't, you know, I haven't thought about it in such a long time. But, well, that makes um, sense. Like somebody that um, would have such a a momentous impact on you, like yeah. such a amazing turning point and it's like, why wouldn't you, why wouldn't you adopt something that worked so well for you? Why wouldn't you yeah. adopt that behavior for other people? I mean, it makes sense to me. Yeah. yeah. And that's, to me, a beautiful homage, you know? Oh, thanks. I'm going to, I remember that. He died about 10 years ago and I, we, we not, we weren't, didn't really keep in touch, but, mm. um, uh, one of the monks knew how important he was to me and you have know, sort of reached out to me on on email they have email in the monastery um <laughs> and and let me know and i was just um it just sort of brought back again sort of uh what a, an important person he was and um you know there are i don't want to like up the drama but you know there are those moments in life where you know you do your life could go one way or another. Mm. And, um, he, you know, I'm very grateful. He was the person in that room who pointed me in one direction. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny. Uh, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but that's the kind of legacy I want to leave. It's not through having my name on a building or, you know, books written about me. I want, I want people to take the parts of me, that help them the most and I want them to continue those on. Right. That's, that's what I want my legacy to be. Mm -hmm. It's just through people through maybe good deeds or acts, even if they're not attributed to me, 
that's that's all I could ever hope for. So that's awesome. Well, and I, you know, not not to quote myself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of what I was saying earlier about how things are passed hand to hand. That's still really how things happen, and um, it's the gesture, you know. So um, yeah, and I mean, to me, that's like a um, that's a kindness that has a value that you know that's beyond money beyond anything right, right. The, the fact that somebody would hand something over to you especially when it's um you know if it's something that's really personal and private and uh like we say you know most people don't really know who i am right and you know maybe they'll know this part of me like this facet of me over here or there but to to really show somebody you know the man behind the curtain make yourself vulnerable to to maybe help them along the way that's that's huge to me yeah and and it's you know it's there is a kind of um randomness to it too i mean i think you can be intentional about like i want to be this kind of person in the world um but you know the person who can receive the handoff you never know who that's going to be and or the thing that's going to land later you know, and um, like we said earlier, you don't get to pick how people enjoy your art, right? And right. the words you say, you don't necessarily get to pick how that's going to impact them. Yeah. And, you know, and I think that's the the faith part of it again. Of mm. You try, you do your best and hope, but you don't really know. Mm. You know, you never know. Um I mean, certainly we all have their days where we're like, yeah, I really did it. Today was the day. But, um, <laughs> but you know, you just don't know. And uh, that mm. can make you either, you know, crazy or you just kind of keep doing it. Yeah. See. Yeah. Or maybe a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, Peter. Well, I'll tell you what, we're bumping right up against time. Oh, and, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, we went deep. I, I can't think of a, a more beautiful way to end this podcast. So I, I, I think I'd, I'd love to put a bow on it here, but right here at the end, I usually like to say, if people listen to this out on the internet, out on the wacky worldwide web, if they wanted to interact with you in some specific way or get a hold of you or whatever it happened to be, how would you have them find you? you know, social media, your website, any of that stuff? Yeah, you can find me. I have two websites. Um, technically I have three, but I'm only going to plug two. Um, so you can find me if you're interested in sort of any kind of creating creative guidance for a project. Um, and that could be any kind of project, something you feel stuck with, you don't know how to move forward, or you don't know how to begin, or you're have one form of knowledge you're trying to put in a new form that you've never worked with. Um, mm. you can reach out to me at, uh, pmkcreativityguide.com. And um, shoot me an email there, and I'm happy to talk. Uh, or if you're just interested in my own work, um, you can find me at petermkrask.com. And I'm also on Instagram with both of those, although I have, I stopped Instagram during the pandemic and I haven't picked it back up, and I have to get I back noticed. on the horse. I have I to get back it's on the horse. Got a little stale. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's one of my. 2022 goals so 
right, but yeah, cool. say hi. I love to talk to people about their work and, um, you know, we all help each other get better. So, hmm. well, there is so much of you that we did not even get to touch on. So I like in my notes, there's so many other things. Uh, you are, um, a man of many talents. Uh, so I'm not even going to get into there, but you have details on petermcrans.com. I know. So if people want to dig in more, there's a lot more information there and, um, just poking around. I saw some of your work here and there. So I definitely encourage people to do that. And Peter, your time was such a beautiful gift and I thank you for it. And, uh, I, uh, hope we get to talk soon again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. This has been a, a great conversation. I, you know, I'm glad we kind of just went with it. And, you know,